Hey, everybody, it's John. And thanks to everybody who helps us out every week by going to patreon.com slash steal this beer and throwing a couple of bucks away so that we can mail beers to our guests and have some fun conversations resulting from that. So uh, if you're not already, go check it out. It's patreon.com slash steal this beer. Uh, as Cass says, a little bit goes a long way and we appreciate the support. Now, here come the sirens. Steal This Beer, a candid weekly discussion about beer, over beer, by a couple of guys that think about beer way too much. All right, hey y'all, it's five o'clock on Monday and we are stealing beer. I'm Augie Carton. Hey, I'm John Hall, and I am filled with endorphins at the moment. Are you? What What has got you so endorphin rich? At I, this moment, I, John Hall, mere minutes before we we came on to what is sure to be a spectacular piece of broadcasting, uh, I was at kindergarten field day, <gasps> so I was doing sack races and egg and spoon. And uh, I mean, you know me with my athletic prowess. I was really and, and, uh, and shaming all mad. the other dads that were there for uh, for kindergarten field day. And and I feel really good about it. I feel really good about making grown men cry. Was there a three-legged race? And can Hannah still walk? <laughs> <laughs> they don't. I just, they don't, I just they don't imagine do three-legged race. And yeah. Do you, and do you remember that? Do you remember that toy skip it where you like put one yeah. leg in a circle? I feel like yeah, if you and Hannah did a three-legged race, it would just be a really weird version of skip it. <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying to find ways of getting her into therapy <laughs> earlier and earlier. And uh, honey, yeah. roll with it, roll with it. Don't resist, don't resist. Trust me. Yeah, we're gonna no, win. It, we're gonna it, win. It was great. They they had um they were they had cornhole. And um, given all of my various brewery visits, uh, I'm really good at it. So really? uh, their dads were really impressed. And I was like, yeah, like, I've never done this sober before. This is weird. I, I, I don't know if you know who I am, but I legitimately <laughs> drink and throw bags of corn for a living. I came walking in and I had a, I had one of those, you know, like tumbler, uh, like coffee mugs kind of thing. And I had one of the dads go, so like, what do you got in there? IPA? <laughs> Man, it's coffee. Jesus Christ. God and he's damn like, it, Irish? You... And I was like, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you reprobate. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, our accomplished du jour is well-seasoned, well-traveled on the show at least twice in the last decade. Josh Bernstein, how you doing, buddy? I am doing well. I'm at Coney Island right now watching <laughs> roller coasters go over. Uh, so uh, you, I've also got an, endor- I've got an endorphin rush right now, too. <laughs> guys, it's an endorphin-rich child. Related. I assume you're with your child. I assume you aren't just cruising Coney Island. Yeah, you know, a little A, a little B. <laughs> um, uh, my child is somewhere right now doing something, <laughs> and hopefully will uh, still have all of her limbs at the end of the day. But, you know. Yeah. Well, it is Coney Island. There's, there's a. <laughs> we can hear the, the there, screams of delight. That's pretty great. There's a legitimate badge of punk rock honor to, honor to have at least lost a digit out of Coney Island. Somebody's um, listening. I, this already might got... be louder than our barcade shows. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I would say I've gotten whiplash on the on the cyclone before, pretty much. But I mean, that's the extent of my injuries. That's what I got. It's a whiplash. I mean, I haven't really been aware of whiplash since the Brady's went off the air. So that's 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 a serious serious thing from times gone by. All right, so let's talk about the book because this matters. I love this book. So I think. Did you come on the show the first time to promote the first edition or had we all, had I already met you through the show when the first book came out? Uh, we're talking like that was 2013. No, that was, was before. Only... That's before yeah. us. Okay. Okay. All right. So that, so, that yeah. Matters. Yeah. Predates that, which is crazy. I mean, 10 yeah. years ago right now. And I mean, it's, uh, I think like going off and like talking about this book really kind of puts into a stark uh, relief how different 10 years ago was now. I mean, like my kid had just wasn't even born yet by the time when the first edition came out. And then uh, nowadays I'm at, uh, you know, Coney Island watching her go on roller coasters so 10 years later. Wow. So what I did and you, so it's funny, um, Hall and Kennedy, you don't know this, but Bernstein and I have been communicating about this book. I now have 13 copies. So when we were a new brewery and I was looking to like team build, I, uh, I bought a bunch of copies of the complete beer course. I think we should mention that, Josh. I'm sorry I let that go by. But the original complete beer course handed it around to the whole staff and said, look, you have a $100 allowance. This is your chapter. Go buy beers from the chapter. Teach everybody. And now a decade later, from the carton brewing perspective, we we're in this really weird thing where I've got a lot of people working with us who craft beer's almost become a job in the last decade where there's not a required amount of expertise amongst you know what I mean? Like 10 years ago, if you were working in a brewery, because you love craft beer. Nowadays, yeah. people just work in breweries because it's one of the places you work. There's so many of them. So I it's, a, it's another that it's a bar. Yeah, but I'm redoing that whole process just to be like, you can't know what we do if you don't know what the world does. So that's why this book was so exciting to me to be re-released as I was realizing that pain. What do you think, like, obviously this whole discussion of a decade separating two books is about what's changed, but what, what are your, like, top five, this is completely different than it was when I wrote the first draft of this book? Um, I think our access points for beer are totally different. It used to be you had to travel to the best beer bars to be able to get this beer experience. And nowadays, people just go to brewery tap rooms, which didn't exist. When the first book came out, or first edition came out in 2013, New York City hadn't even uh, changed its tap room laws, or New York State hadn't. So you couldn't actually go to places and just drink beer alone. Hazy IPAs, of course, didn't even exist. So this entire idea of waiting in line to go buy cultish beer, you can't get anywhere else, didn't exist as well too. And I think back then we're also talking about that was the era of Belgian beer supremacy, that West Bledern 12 was the quote unquote best beer in the world. And that we would kind of like go to any lengths to go to festivals just to get a taste of it. And nowadays you look right now and Belgian beer kind of has fallen off, you know, fallen off from that perch. And the same thing with, we had this big idea that wild ales and like wild yeast and lactobacillus were really going to change the game. And now you see everybody's wild beer programs have kind of like slunk to the background in the same way that barrel aged beers went from a special treat to becoming like a shelf staple or even a shelf herd for certain brands that just like the subsist there. And so this idea is of like what beers were special and how to acquire them have really evolved drastically over the last 10 years. 
I, I, the only thing I would would caveat with what you just, just said is I still think Westy 12 might be the best beer in the world. It's just public opinion has moved to a a simpler love of beer, a less fancy love of beer. But every time that beer comes into my life, I'm like, oh, yeah, this really is a special and unique thing in the world. Um, it, it's so a let's tri- get back it's to a tri- Yeah. I was going to no, say, it's, it's a terrific beer. I would say it's a terrific beer. I think what's changed is that what I'm seeing now is that beer used to be the driver of conversation, the thing that we would all talk about in tap rooms and bars. And kind of beer, I think, with the evolution that we're seeing a lot more craft lagers right now, beer and craft beer in particular has really become sort of an accessory to good times and kind of going back to its traditional role that beer was always the accomplice to your Friday night another thing you talked about on Friday night. And so I see this sort of evolutionary way of like how we're thinking about beer and how we're discussing it. So it's great to have it in your hand, but it's not something you need to talk about, like at length about what's in your hand. Would you, would you, if I offered this, would you consider it valid that, that a lot of what we've done in a lot of flavors is, is simplify the flavors? You know what I mean? Like 10 years ago, Ten years ago, if you, me, Hall, and Kennedy met in a bar, and we just let's just say the tiger because we know Josh. If I if, if I already didn't know that you were at Coney Island, I would think that you were at a, <laughs> a hazy IPA release circa 2018. <laughs> oh my God! There's so many so many beards. The line is everyone so mosaic and citra. Oh my God! Have you guys heard of El Dorado? Yeah. <laughs> why is everybody Why is everybody drunk at 7 a.m. Did you go to bed? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think the simplification of flavors has made things a lot more accessible to a broader audience too. I mean, how reductive do you want to get? I mean, nowadays I think it's um, making it a lot easier for people to understand what's on the can with um, like the rise of fruited sours, where things are explicitly laid out that this beer tastes like this dessert or this thing tastes like that. I think it's made everybody a lot more confident to understand what they're consuming and be able to find their flavorful preferences on there. So I think that's, that's important. I mean, to re- I think to reduce it in a way, it's simplifying things, I think, but it also is making it more accessible to a larger amount of people. Now, when you're writing the, the addition to, are you, you clearly, you know, you clearly seeing that idea in your planet, like how, I, I think a big part of like 10 year ago beer book is kind of decoding and now more it's a travel guide. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Like you were teaching people in that first book, these words suggest indicate or mean this and th- you know what I mean? And this, and these days mm-hmm. it's a, here's what's out there. How, how did that like the approach to, if you agree that those are, that's a pivot that's happened. How did the approach to, breaking down formatting and, and putting the book together change with that in the light of that? Yeah, I would say in a certain sense, there's less traveling nowadays too, because we think 10 years ago, if you wanted to get your great beer, you booked your pilgrimage to Portland, Oregon, you went to San Diego, you made these like journeys out to uh, these new breweries in Vermont and you made that happen on there. So I think you had to travel and seek out better beer in a way that you don't have to now. And so this idea, like, yeah, I think in the first edition, it was like, you need to go to these restaurants and go check out these festivals. And then because I basically signed the book deal back in 2019, at the end of 2019, update the book. And then, of course, March 2020 happened and the world stopped traveling. And so for me, it made zero sense to really talk about 
how to need the need to travel to go get better beer when all of a sudden all these breweries started shipping beer directly to your doorstep and you mm-hmm. could do your pa- pack loading run directly at grocery stores and stock up. I mean, my bodega nowadays has better beer now than I think most beer bars had 10 years ago. And so I think there's a greater access to beer, but I think I'd, you know, what changed all together is, I mean, what, what's actually important. I mean, do we need to go to, you know, Portland to go get a better beer or need to know kind of like what's happening and break down, I think, these evolutionary changes we're seeing and I think some of the styles. And also, how do you bring more people in the world of beer? I think what, one big thing I did with the book was that beyond updating the profiles, like, you know, Green Flash was the IPA brewery in the first book, and now there's a subsidiary of a cannabis company, right? So it's like having to swap out some of these wow. profiles and thinking about, I mean, that. I mean, 10 years from being a 50-state brewery at the West Coast, you know, Green Flats or West Coast IPA becoming a 50-state brand, essentially, to becoming a subsidiary of a cannabis company. And, you know, you've got Crooked Save, which was a wild yeast example in that chapter. And now they're doing great things with their Von Pilsner, and they've got a ton of IPAs. And Sour Rosé is kind of their lead, uh, their lead um, wild beer. So you have to, I think you had to rethink, like, what, what breweries do you focus on? And I think one, one thing that really struck me, I think, like, 10 years ago, we really talked about this era of, you know, the rock star brewmaster aspect, where a lot of information came forth from these figureheads who are really excellent at conveying what was awesome about craft beer. But I think to the point there was often this exclusion of all the other people inside of these breweries, which are essentially, you know, beverage beverage factories. So you don't have the quality control people. You don't talk about the canning line people, which are so important. So I really wanted to, I think, like bring people into the world of the brewing industry and tell the stories of people. Because I think if you try to tell people like, go visit XYZ thing and then, the world just seems so uncertain about what would still exist and what wouldn't exist, but people's stories are pretty timeless. So even if people switch jobs, their journey into beer, I think, was really important. And we're always talking about how do you get more people to care about beer, and I think you need to see more faces and hear more stories to bring people in. So I think for me, that was a huge undertaking, like ripping out everything about beer weeks, ripping everything about going to barley wine festivals, I mean, and really bringing people in. And I think... Which, I mean, so that was it. Like, 10 years ago, like, Split Thy Skull at Mugs in Brooklyn, which doesn't exist anymore. Tornado had a big barley wine festival. Alaska, people made pilgrimages to Anchorage and just drink barley wines. Like, you just don't see that same sort of, um, like, national desire in the same way anymore. Sure. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I thought that was one of our people asked the question. Um, absolutely. And so how much that, the interesting timing of this, you know, you're launching into this process and it so coinciding to what COVID was, but, but so much of that is so much of what changed is this rush to market, right? Like, yeah. Like people who were fine just to wait for people to come to them had to reach out and there's kind of, you can't kind of put that. What's the phrase I'm looking for here. I'll genie back in the bottle or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Once, once you can get alchemist in New Jersey, you kind of always have to be able to get Hetty Topper, New Jersey. You know what I mean? Like you can't be like, oh, and now it's gone again. Although I have seen a couple people, at least around here, trying to be like, oh, no, 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 no. We only did that because we needed to during COVID. Now you have to come back to us. And I'm not seeing that necessarily succeed for them culture wise, but go on. Yeah, no, I don't think, I mean, it's, we're in this era where you're, we, were, we were told you need to drink a certain number of beers and a certain style of beer and 
you need to drink Pliny the Elder and Hetty Topper and certain things to become, you know, quote unquote, expert beer drinker. But when you drink that, you're like, okay, what's next? And so you've accomplished that sort of tick or that check-in and whatever, but what's after that now? And I just think what's been accelerated is the release schedules. Is if we're talking about, I mean, 10 years ago, you had stuff, you had the, um, things were still in a seasonal rotation, your spring beer, you had your summer beer, your fall beer, and your winter beer. And nowadays, those are your four kind of like really exciting new releases for a year for a brewery. And now every week brings new beers nowadays. And I think we've almost conditioned people to expect something new and exciting all the time. And that, and that's it. And so I think once you try your heady topper once, it's like, all right, what's next? So you've done that now. I think it's, you're going to be able to get, I think like an initial bump for some of these brands and initial sales hit, but I don't know if people care long enough. I think things have gotten so local for so many breweries that I don't see this need to have as many outside your um, home market brands as there was back then. I mean, I think 2013, we had what? We had like three or four breweries in New York City, Six Point, Brooklyn Brewery, Chelsea Craft Brewing, RIP. And now we have 40 plus. And so we needed outside craft beer to kind of fill the coffers. And nowadays we don't need them anymore, quite in the same oh, way I- that we needed them. 10 years ago trust me they they used me for that role remember we opened at 11 and for like 12 13 14 15 we were the yeah. red-headed stepchild of new york craft brewing and then in 17 like oh no no don't worry about it Augie. you can stay home i'm like oh i miss the good times <laughs> <laughs> um, i miss coming into town and having to sleep in the city after getting drunk with jeff and evan um that's all interesting hey hall you 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 must have a question for Bernstein about rewriting a book or over or updating a book. No. Or should I just keep going? Cause you know, I'll go all day on styles. That's my, did Hall leave? All right. It's me then. No, I'm um, here. I'm here. Okay. So what, um, I mean, what do you think in book? Cause my next question is about the change in just like chapter structure. I believe there's less chapters now, unless I um, messed there- that up. Um, there's the, there's the exact same amount of chapters, but okay, I, had, okay. I, kind of, I had to rethink the chapters on there. You know, I think um, I expanded the chapter on what age beer because, like, you know, fooders were, for all intents and purposes, really non-existent in American brewing 10 years ago. You know, you had New Belgium, but beyond mm-hmm. that, they weren't a thing that people needed to have inside there to age their lagers to sell to people. And um, so I think really expanded the um, what age chapter to talk about the changes in that, too. I think the international beer chapters really saw a huge overhaul as well because if you think back to like 2012, 2013, you could talk about the five, 10 breweries in you know, Denmark or the UK that are really doing amazing things. Nowadays, all these countries kind of deserve their own beer book and have had their own beer books being written about their scenes. Okay. Um, we might have lost him. I think we lost him. You think maybe he got mugged? It is Coney Island. Can you imagine what if he snatched his phone out of his hand? What if Bernstein's got a knife to his throat right now? Josh, are you still there? Oh, he dropped. No, he dropped out. It is interesting, though, Augie, to your point, because when the Craft Brewery Cookbook came out last year versus the American Craft Beer Cookbook, which came out in 2012, um, you know, there is so much that has changed in those 10 years, right? Where. 10 years ago, it was all about excess with food and the high caloric beers with high caloric food. And then, you know, this time around, uh, you know, it's salads and it's non-alcoholic options and it's, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, light vinaigrette right. as opposed to, you know, thick blue cheese. He's dressing, back. Like that. There he is. Uh, I, I, He's I back. didn't actually, 
I didn't touch a single button. I'm not sure what happened. We thought you got mugged. We thought you got mugged. We're like, he's in Cody Island. That guy could have a knife to his throat right now. Uh, but it's uh, Justin, where do you want these me? versions because they are also just like placeholders in time. And if you look at the first version versus the second version, like yeah. Josh's book, you can really well, see the evolution of beer uh, in you know similar pages. And it's it's the, it's fun to have. Indeed. So Josh, I have two I'm gonna throw at you. You can pick which one to answer, but please get yeah. to both. One, because it's you know, as a person who's obviously deeply involved in the game i think back to as you as you remind me of what where we were in 13 versus where we are now i would have said with 100 percent confidence that the last complete beer course wasn't going to need to change much and it clearly yeah. did need to change quite a bit so i'm kind of wondering if you if you see any milestones along the way in moments where you were like well that chapter is no longer accurate you know what i mean and then my have, other question yeah. is, if we t- if we think back to 13, John, o- John always says this on the show, and although you, me, and John know it's true, it gets a lot of rebuttal from the, from the thieves. But New York City was not a place you were going to comfortably be able to experience the world's beers 13 years ago. Even though you're a writer who hasn't come to you, how much legwork was involved 13 years ago to really comprehend the beer world versus these days where almost everything in the world comes to you like in your neighborhood bodega as you were saying what to pick up pick one of those two answer and yeah I'll, I'll, them start, I'll start yeah i'll start with the idea of like how do you get access to these beers i think you know probably you know around what was it 10 11 12 you know whole foods came into new york city in a way and what Whole Foods did back then, they, you know, they actually had a homebrew supply shop in some of these Whole Foods. You could buy the grains, but they also had insane beer. So the Whole Foods beer rooms, I think like Corey from Beer Street used to work in one of the Whole Foods, well, if I recall. But I mean, Whole Foods had just like all the world's beers at your fingertips right there, too. So Whole Foods, in a way, was a really amazing place to go be able to buy, um, you know, Cantillon, Drefontaine, all these things were just like sitting in your Whole Foods back then. And and they hadn't quite reached this level of like cultishness where you had to fight for the release. They were just there gathering dust by and large. So you're able to access, I think, these beers back then too. But we always had, I think our beer bars were always there to kind of fill in the void with the Blind Tiger, um, Blind Tiger Ale House. Um, you know, beer craft was really instrumental as well in Brooklyn with just the number of um, beers they had in the fridge and really helped pioneer this idea of you can buy one beer and try one beer and drink some draft beer to stay as well or take your draft beer home. So we had, you know, these outposts, but what you had to do was seek them out in a way that you had to, you know, get on your bike, get in a car, get in a cab, get on the train or bus and actually go out to these places. So I think that was like a really big change for me too. that, you know, you had to go seek it out then. And nowadays, I mean, it's uh, you don't need to seek out better beer quite in the same way. But the hard part, I think, for updating the book was just so much of the um, national releases nowadays have windowed down that people don't have this manifest destiny 50 state constants anymore or they shouldn't. And so and finding like great examples and having this sort of cohesive, like liquid language we could discuss beer with was really hard to come by because, you know, yeah, you can still get Stone IPA most places cross country, things like that too. But can you name like a, like five non-adjuncted seven or six seven percent stout available on a national scale? And the answer is pretty much no. 
you got some bells, you got some Deschutes, but even then they're not all 50 states right now. So I think like finding some of these classic styles, we've really moved away from them in such a big way right now. And our imports from the UK have really dried up. And so I think um, looking back and trying to find this cohesive language to describe beer with people, I think was a huge, was a huge lift for me to find styles that, you know, you may be able to confidently acquire at a store or online because so much has moved to like a taproom model, you know, and either a taproom model or just a local, regional, small state, small state footprint right now. All right. And what about, um, what about, so I know I've asked this question, but I'm going to re-ask it because I, I, I'm interested. What do you think the most dramatic change, not new information, but what was the biggest rewrite in the decade? Like what was the thing where almost nothing you'd written 10 years ago still stands true I think, you know, the IPA, I think the IPA chapter had to be pretty much rewritten. You know, back then, I mean, that was the era of color wheel IPAs. You had your black IPA, your white IPA, your red IPA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we had to rethink what is useful knowledge about the IPA category? How do you talk about hazy IPAs? How do you split things up? The Imperials, like everything, I think everything with the IPAs has really been rewritten in the last decade. The rule book on what succeeds even classic beers have changed their hop fills to become more palatable toward modern times that shift away from bitterness on there. But I think, I you know, from a, from a me perspective, I think it's more about my mindset. I think if you, if you go back to 2013, we talked about craft beer versus macro beer and the David versus Goliath concept, right? That it was big guys versus little guys and everyone's fighting this fight. And, you know, macro loggers were evil. And, you know, I don't, you, you drink the Kool-Aid, but I'm willing to admit you know, that, you know, things aren't so cut and dried as that, too. You can decry, I think, big breweries for their sales tactics, for their pricing, what they do to, like, drive down the price structures and how they can really um, get um, certain deals to be in stadiums and things like that, too. But if you're talking, like, from, like, the unimpeachable quality of a, of a mass market lager brand that's being sold all across the country from consistency's sake, it's, like, it's pretty amazing that they're doing that. But I didn't see that sort of... Um, my eyes were a bit clouded over, I think, by sort of this big rise of craft beer that was happening, what we're calling craft beer. And, you know, you, you, but, you, but nowadays you can see that you know, to create consistent beer from a large macro brewery is incredibly difficult. And so I think mm-hmm. I, 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 rethought, I rethought all that stuff in my head. And like, I think I softened my sort of um, contrarian tone a lot where it was, it was punk rock. It was, you know, us versus them. And, you know, but it's all beer. And now beer's against hard seltzer and canned cocktails and hard kombuchas and cannabis and everything all together. So it's not just, it's not just a macro micro conversation anymore. It's yeah, it's, it's funny. You're, it's, I feel like I want to tie your, the IPA color wheel thing really struck me. Like I'd never heard that phrase or considered that context, but absolutely. Like, these days I'm identifying my various IPAs by um by what yeast I'm using because I think it's the thing that yeah. makes them unique because the malt bills have all been sorted through. But it's funny as you as you put that in my head and I really latched onto it. Now as you say this, it's like the color wheel of five to ten percent intoxicants and yeah. all the things that can be on there. And we're definitely in the pie slice next to macro, but 
but still being in New Jersey where macro absolutely does all they can to stifle all creativity. I still feel a little bit of that David Goliath feelings. Yeah. Um, so tell me, tell me next about, um, tell me next about just, I, I guess I want to talk about growth as a drinker. We touched on it early, but we all now have like every, every, everybody on this phone has something going on with their kids today. Right. That's not where we yeah. were first time you came on this show as uh as things grow and as life changes do you feel your is beer still your anchor for you know for unwinding or has it become you know that we're talking about in the industry at least in the production side of the industry we're talking about this kind of group of us who are dissociating from the dream and if that's happening and who it's happening to and when you when you get together brewer to brewer you're like but do you still love it because that's whether you decide how much you're going to commit time and effort so you know i mean as we're all older as you're at the park with your kids i'm between grade school graduations and john is busy tossing hannah about a field for field day um get out the parachute woo <laughs> um you know what i mean how, how how much of it's still like how you know what i mean like in your heart how many days are you still like i can't believe i get to drink this beer considered and write about it for a living and how many days are you like i just need a beer because i'm sick of working and my work is beer you know it's, it's easy to get jaded about stuff and i'm gonna not not gonna lie i mean like i definitely get jaded at times like once i think you stay in the business long enough you see all the trends come around i've been writing about beer for what beer and booze for like 20 years now i'm old enough to watch these things happen the second time i'm kind of like wait a minute <laughs> yeah, I'm old enough to see these things happen now again. It's like it's true. Everything like time is a flat time is a flat circle. It all right. does come back around again on the on these things. But, you, know, <laughs> I, well, you know, you're like, well, me me dumping a Jolly Rancher into a Zima back in like '95, back when I was 17, is like fast forwarded to you know fruited hard yep. seltzer. Like back then, you know, all these decades later, and it's just like it's important. I think to see how these things are being repackaged for new generations. And I think there's a strength and asset to have this kind of um, historical knowledge and framework where you've seen it happen with your eyes. And I think it lends like stronger, stronger credence to your writing. Cause you can, it's not everything is like new and busy. It's like, well, this has happened before, but I think for me, I definitely don't get as, don't get as excited about trying everything new under the sun. Like a lot of people, like, you know, I do this for a living by go to beer stores outside my hometown of the little old burg of New York city. And I'm kind of like, what are all these things? And I can't figure it out. <laughs> I get, if I get confused and I don't have the ability to drop, you know, $500 to get a crash course in everybody's uh, different beer scene right now too. So I'm definitely a lot more particular about what I do. My tastes are, I, I will try your pastry stout. I will try uh, like your rocket pop sour ale. Why well, I buy a four pack of it and like drink it on the daily? The answer is probably not. No. I think I've found, I think you definitely find, you find what you like. And I think nowadays I have the um, confidence as a drinker to go back to some of these things that, you know, to appreciate the nuance and the great Kolsch, to see why Pilsners are amazing. Things like that, that I may not have cared as much back then, because really I think the early rise of craft beer is really about what's possible. And you almost need to arrest people with aggression at first before you can like dive down the wormhole of nuance. So I see myself kind of going back to things I may have overlooked. And I'm actually revisiting a lot more of these like um, classic brands nowadays and finding pleasure in them, like Westmall Triple and things like that. And seeing, you know, why, how, how these beers 
these beers have been around longer than I have as a human. Like, what's making them stand the test of time? So, Mike, I'm really curious, like, what, you know, where this, this concept we call craft beer is really, what, only 40, 50 years old in America? That's a freaking blip right now. We're still right. in, like, we barely reached middle age. And so I think there's, um, there's something to be said for the idea of a 100-year brand. It hasn't really – how many 100-year brands and beer do we have in America? How many things have been around forever? So I'm curious, like, about longevity and what keeps things um, – keeps things around, but full well knowing that things will die. And that's really the nature of the beer business that we were deluded to think that things would never go down. But the reality is it's a business like any other, and it's the beer business. We just conveniently forgot that second part of the statement. Yeah. It's funny. It's uh, as you said that. So around my part of New Jersey in my age group, the cliched, you know, her dad's having a midlife crisis was, Oh, he got a condo in Seabright, a Corvette and some puka shells. And as you told that sentence, I was envisioning the rocket bomb pop as the Corvette puka shells and Seabright condo of, of beer development growth. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah, I, I got, I, go on. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask you guys, like, you know, when, like, I think it's been top of my mind lately. It's like my kid and your kids have grown up around craft beer. Like, what do you think they're going to think when they're, you know, 15, 16, 17, they're going to like want to steal our craft beer in the fridge if it's still there. Like, what do you think they're going to want to drink? Because we've not really had, you know, nobody drank, nobody wants to drink what their parents drink. And so, you know, PBR was like the punk rock beverage of like what the late 90s, early 2000s for a lot of people. Um, but, you know, what, what do you think is going to happen? Like, where do you see the next so, generation going? Do you, do you think your so kids what's are going to funny care is, about craft what's beer? Funny, what's funny I'm is totally I'm going to drink what my dad drinks. I have a 16 yeah. year old. I have a 16 year old. And what's funny is he has celiac. So he can't drink beer. Um, yeah. I actually made, I teamed up with Departed Souls in Jersey City and made a gluten-free version of Boat just so that he could have a case of beer in the house because what's the fun of being a 16-year-old without a beer? Um, yeah. I did that five months ago. He's had nine. But when he comes home, they all seem to be drinking seltzers. Like mm. You know what I mean? He, he would never admit it, but when I bust him, it seems to be a seltzer bust and yeah. um and it's all it's and what's funny is it's it's it, not the just it's not knowing the you though you you have that ain't no laws kind of vibe so yeah of course it, it of works course not. yeah of course but what i'm saying is what's weird about it is it's brands i don't know if the three of us were sitting around and we we ticked the top 25 seltzer brands we're aware of and talked about them it's none of those so ah. somehow, somehow it does seem kind of even different, right? Like if I said to you, ah, my kid was out drinking seltzers, you're going to have a top of your head list of seltzers. None of those are the cans I'm finding around the house. You know what I mean? It's and, not and the, they, go on. Are, are they agnostic about the brand? Like, you know, like interesting to me, I'm looking yeah. around, you know, I think like you would see. In the, in the height of the craft beer phase, you'd have a hard, I can Trader Joe's has his house brands and things like that too. Firestone Walker made them originally, but you know, I'm seeing a lot of people drinking like Kirkland brand hard seltzer, you know, walking around. Yeah. It's like the, no, they don't Costco. seem to care at all. Yeah. It's at like, it's all. just, it's like, it's like, well, it's 5% of 100 calories. It's like, it's the cheapest thing in the shelf, which is exactly how the regular seltzer market has gone, where if we go to the store together, it's like, whatever's the cheapest NA seltzer is what I buy. I mean, yeah. Sorry, you're right. Sorry, Poland. Sorry, Poland. Yeah. Vintage is cheaper. 
Yeah, sorry, Lacroix. That was a cute year you had, but now I'm buying whatever comes in a plastic wrapped 48 case. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, they are. They are. But to be fair, I think it makes them smarter than us, right? Because yeah, you talk to anybody in our age group, we all know. Even though if the three of us got super geeky, we could talk about the subtle difference between Bud Miller and Coors Light. You know that having a brand allegiance to one of those over the other is just marketing. Whereas these kids yeah. are like, I don't, I don't know, six percent tastes like raspberry. Give me that. You know what I mean? Um, so last question for the two writers, because I know we're all under time constraints. And Josh, we really appreciate you coming out. And Kennedy, if you have a letter, get it ready. But between the two of you, which what's gonna happen in the book 10 years from now? The the craft beer cookbook or the craft beer bible, or you know what I mean. The complete what, what, beer course. He, the, the man is taking course. time out of his 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 daughter's I'm, field day, and you're you're your field day with Jeff Allworth. God damn you! To be fair, it's just good writers, Sean. I never mistake them for you. Um, uh, what? Ooh, that was so uncalled mean. for. That was just mean. All right, bye, everybody. Get at us. Anyway, um, yeah, John. What's the uh, yeah? But what what's going to happen in the next ten? Because I said in a question about. 20 minutes ago, I never would have guessed the complete course beer course would need rewriting in 10 years. And same for, uh, same for the cookbook. And John, you were talking about the lightening and cleaning of flavors. So what's going to be 10 years from now, if you can guess, and I will hold you to it. I John, mean, do you want to start? Or? Sure. On the, on the food side of things, I mean, Carton will be out of business by then. So that'll free up. <laughs> that'll make some room, especially in the food space. Um, but no, everything is going to be in pill form in 10 years. <laughs> and cars will fly. That's right. Josh, we'll take our got? flying cars to our pill beers. Uh, flying cars to pill beers. It seems like a future. <laughs> um, but you know, we've seen that we didn't have like a back to the future lied to us or no hoverboards in you know, 2020. Yeah. So, you know, any future predictions are colored by the failure of our movies to predict the future. You know, I think <laughs> we're going to continue to see the, um, the death of uh, the death or the um, contraction of more beer styles too. You know, I just don't see as much, you know, things will always be brewed. There's always like dusting off a recipe and bringing it back again. But, you know, right now it's <laughs> for most breweries, like what lagers do you have? What IPAs do you have? And what's in between? So I just see this sort of um, continued um, contraction of beer styles, almost to a point where things are going to be a footnote. And I came across that in the book because, you know, wheat wines 10, 13 years ago were a thing, right? This companion to barley wine and wheat wines, as far as like broad examples, disappeared. You know, they're done every once in a while. So I'm like, well, you'll never be able to try any of these styles. Um, but here it is in case anybody creatures. I think we're going to see a lot more contraction of styles. And I think that's also going to be a reflection of um, people are going to need to, um, for the near term, as people like figure out what people want to drink, people are going to be tightening their skews. We see it happening right now, focusing on the brands that do really well for them. Um, and this could be something to really, I think, like, like yeah, maximize your ingredient efficiency. I've heard talk people using fewer yeast strains. They don't have to have as much of a cost on that. So I just I really feel that we're going to see like fewer fewer styles like happening on there too, and I mean it's it's on the store shelves right now. It's you're not going to get the breadth and scope I think that you saw ten years ago. I think that's going to continue to go on right now, um, and that's just going to be the realities of it and the continuing contraction of brands. I mean we can't even get by a single week without somebody gobbling up somebody in Jersey. 
for a river horse oh. claw, and that was not on. I think anybody's anybody's punch card, right? Nope. So nope. I, I'm I right see, here. I'm in the middle of it. I was like, wait, what? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, no shade on river horse, but I forgot about them. And so yeah. for them, because their beer kind of disappeared from the store shelves in New York City, like the um, their hippo triple or something like that, but it was it was gone. And so I just see this is going to happen more and more, and we're going to get in this state which things are going to, in some ways, going to be not so dissimilar, it seems, like how, you know, a lot of these macro brands own a ton of different subsidiary brands, or PepsiCo owns all these things as well. You're going to find, um, you know, fewer brands own more properties, and that's just going to be, that's going to be the way going forward. That's just going to, for the near term, as people try to weather out what these changes are. I think we still haven't come out of, like, this, the, the pan, our, our behaviors are still so uncertain from the pandemic, like tap room versus what's going to sell and what's not. Like in New York City, December, everybody had a really crappy December at tap rooms because people left town to go travel, but their Januarys ended up being really good, <laughs> which yeah. flipped everything on its head. So you just don't know what to predict, and I think people are going to be less uh, um, less uh, risk averse going forward to be able to weather these like uncertain couple of years. I think that makes sense. Kennedy, my man, do you have a letter? You're not going to believe this. I just opened the inbox and we have a question about wheat wine. Shut up. Where <laughs> <laughs> to God. Josh, styles you, that'll Josh, totally still be in fashion 10 years from now. Josh, are you texting while talking? <laughs> I wish. Uh, but you know, Muddy Nose made like a world-class wheat wine at one point in time. I remember I was in Burlington and they had all the, and like Dave Yarrington, the former brewmaster was like, this beer gets better with age. I was in Burlington at some beer st- beer store, and they had like old stock wheat wine all for two bucks a bottle. And it was like two, three years old. I was like, oh my fucking God, I'm just going to load my trunk up. And I did all the wheat wine in the world. And I think the last bottle went away two years ago. And I don't think I've had one since. <laughs> all right. So this, right, comes from, go. Yeah. this comes from Mitchell R. Uh, the subject is wheat wine. He says, next to Roush beer, wheat wine is my next favorite style. What do your listeners have to do to get more wheat wine talk on the show? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Josh Bernstein, for, for already answering his question. Yeah. I can't believe that worked out so well. Yeah. Um, I, can, um, I can tell you, we have five or six barrels of wheat wine up in the cellar to be bottled at some point. We just, every time we taste it, we think it wants more time. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, we just yeah. keep or leaving. We're like, ah, we'll come back to that one. Filters and then, yeah. <laughs> I think it was Nebraska Brewing Company that used to make a really good one. Does anyone remember? Yeah, that? Nebraska made a really yeah. good one. Uh, full uh, sale perennial, made a really good one. Perennial. Were... I don't know about perennial, but uh, perennial, perennial. It's called Heart of Gold, I think. Um, awesome. Uh, uh, for that too. But yeah, they everyone made these such great wheat wines. I think for me, it was like a, they made a, it was like such a smoother approach to this barley wine aspect i mean i mean it's like very close like a weizenbach or weizenbach or something like that with like a strong wheat you know on that but i yeah i love the good wheat wine but you know again tartan brewing gonna save wheat wine right well we try to save everything but no one <laughs> listens all right um i love it but yeah so i i conveniently i think we'll just have josh back periodically and then we'll have all the wheat wine talk you'd ever want to hear <laughs> um awesome all right so hall I guess yeah. you're doing Cass. I don't know, Kennedy. You can do it. All right, Kennedy, you do Find Cass. Us on uh, social media at Still This Beer. Write us letters at Still This Beer Podcast at Gmail dot com. 
Uh, we're also on Patreon. We appreciate you guys uh, supporting us. It's patreon.com slash still the spear. You can also find a link on our website, which is still And Josh's book is the revised the complete, complete beer course. The Go complete revised yeah. add it to your library, read it, put it down, read it again. And if you want a first edition, buy it now because I just bought thirteen of them, so they're definitely selling quickly. Um, yeah, um, Josh, I, I one collector's thing. edition. Yeah, I know. we appreciate you being here, Josh. Thanks for coming on, and congratulations on the new book. I am psyched. Yeah, and we are so doing, as you know, we are doing another round of educating at Carton with it. So it's already a textbook at Carton. All right, y'all. We appreciate you. Thanks for the the sweet money, and get at us. 